0: Listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca I wanna encourage they ask the ushers to come down and they have Bibles and they if you don't have a Bible um, with you today take one of those Bibles home with you. That is our gift to you. And uh, if you just need to borrow it for the morning, you left yours at home, just feel free to grab that as we'll be looking in God's Word at Acts 19 as we are working through the book of Acts here in our fall series. We're taking each fall here as a church a a portion of the book of Acts and we're working through it. And and, uh, we're in Acts chapter 19. In the passage that was already read for us this morning, we see what ends up taking place here is a powerful move of God. And it happens in Ephesus, one of the most unlikely places for God to be at work. Now we can think of, if you have some Bible knowledge, we can think of Ephesus rather fondly in a, in a rather good way because of, of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. I encourage you, if you've never read the book of Ephesians, I encourage you to read it. If it's been a while since you've read it, it's, it's six chapters. It, it is a wonderful book filled with much encouragement and, and there'll even be some challenges even today to read portions of that. I encourage you to read the book of uh, of Ephesians that Paul wrote. But the city of Ephesus, the city that he later, after Acts 19 took place, years later, he wrote the book of Ephesians. But to understand Ephesus, it was tough, tough, tough ground. And yet, because it was so tough, it was ripe for the gospel. And here in chapter 19, we see Paul is on his third missionary journey. We've been working through his second and and, and now the third missionary journey of Paul this, uh, this fall. All season and now He returns to Ephesus, and and you'll see Ephesus there with that little pin on the map there. He comes back to Ephesus. He spent a short time there on his second missionary journey, and he came back, and and, and as he was leaving Ephesus, he says, if the Lord wills, I'll be back. I think that's where they even got that line from the movie or something like that. They maybe even got, you know, I'll be back uh, from from quite possibly the Apostle Paul. Uh, There's no proof of that, though. Anyways, he comes back. He's in Ephesus. Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey, and it was in the heart of the Roman province of Asia Minor, and uh, here's some pictures of, of Ephesus today. Kind of some of the, the architecture and things that have been um, ha- have been restored and, and, and various things here from the city. We see even the theater that would seat twenty five thousand people. That is later referred on to, uh, referred about in uh, later on in this chapter, and and uh, and so we see here just some pictures of Ephesus. Um, one of the things about Ephesus, is it was often referred to as the treasure house of Asia. And uh, as it was the mother of materialism, of ambition, it was um, the location of the temple Diana or Artemis as uh, she was also referred to, the Greek goddess. And and you can just do some 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 reading, um, just Google Artemis or, or Diana and you just find out some fascinating things about how they, I mean, you think it takes faith to believe the word of God, to believe in Greek mythology and, and how things happen takes even more faith than what uh, what God's word would ever require. And And in Ephesus was the great temple of Artemis or Diana. And, and it was one of the, uh, you'll see a recreation there on the bottom picture of, of uh, on the screen there. It was listed as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was just incredible for architecture. It was an incredible structure. And this temple was the center for a thriving culture of fertility worship. There was much sexuality and sensuality in this city. And part of the whole economy for Ephesus was tourism as people would come in and they would want to go to the temple and worship. And we see this later on in in, uh, this chapter, even in verse 23, we see some of the tourism industry that was going on. We see a silversmith by the name of Demetrius who who, uh, would make little shrines or little idols or replicas of Diana and, and they would, tourists would come and they would be at the temple and they'd want to take some sort of a little, you know, idol home with them to have a, a Greek goddess that was there at the temple that was purchased just outside the temple. And so a great deal of the economy was actually in, in idol making and, and uh, idol worship was greatly encouraged. And so we see that this was a city that was just filled with a lot of different uh, idol worship. It was a thriving business for the, the, the folks of Ephesus. And Ephesus was also a place, as we understand, and it, for superstition and a lot of satanic worship. In Ephesus, you could find every kind of witch, clairvoyant. The city was a very, very dark place. And yet we see in this dark place, a place that had been dark for decades, even centuries, all of a sudden now is coming alive to the power of God and the glory and the power of the gospel. And at times I wonder when we look at our nation and we look at what's going on even in our region here, at times I wonder could God, would God ever see fit to do this again? Would he revive his church? Would he send a spiritual awakening? Would He? Would, could we see what took place in Ephesus happen in our day today? And And As we look at our world, as we look at our city, as we look at this entire region, we just see so much darkness, so much confusion and brokenness in our land. People living in fear, in desperation, in in depression, in loneliness, in hurt, turning to all kinds of different things to try to suppress or try to help. And the only answer is found in Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. He is the only hope to a lost and a broken world. And even for many of God's people, I believe we need a touch from God. I believe that so many of us, if we were to be truly honest, if we were to be truly honest with ourselves, honest with one another and ultimately before God, we would probably, many of us would confess to powerless lives. We're just going through the spiritual motion, a lack of joy, a lack of power. We read about the power that is available and and, and the joy and the peace, and we don't have that. Instead, we're living in fear. We're living in anxiety. We're living in discouragement rather than the joy and the peace and the confidence that is promised for us as believers in Christ. And so we fake it and we go through the spiritual motions. We know the right answers to say and the prayers to pray. And yet, as I prayed just a few moments ago from Isaiah 64, oh God, would you rend the heavens and come down? Would you do a new work? Would your manifest presence be real in our hearts, and our lives, in this room this morning? That prayer has been prayed over and over for this Sunday in a special way. And we believe and we are asking God to do a great work. God, you need to show up in our lives. You need to show up in our families. It's not going to just happen by a few circumstances changing in here, uh, from here to there or whatever it might be. We need a touch from God. And in Acts chapter 19, we see a beautiful awakening. We see a work of God and I believe it with all my heart with the faith that comes from the word of God that we can believe and we can trust God for his hand and for his work to happen in our lives and in this region in our nation. J.I. Packer wrote a book called The Glory of God and the Reviving of Religion, and he notes 10 elements of a great awakening. First of all, revival, when God's people wake up, but then the great awakening is it spills over into the world, and people notice something's going on in the church. Christians are getting serious. Christians are getting real. Christians are getting right with the Lord, getting right with others, and that starts to spill over to others and it spills over into the world in a great awakening. And, and, and here are 10 things you might want to uh, write them down or even snap a picture when all 10 of them are up there, and, and that way you have a copy of this. As, as we see these elements take place over and over again through the 2,000 years of New Testament history that we are currently continuing to live in, when God sees fit to show his manifest presence, the first one is God, uh, God comes down. What might be just what seems like an ordinary, normal Sunday, just kind of going through the motions or or an ordinary day that all of a sudden certain circumstances, events take place where God's manifest presence comes down. And he stirs in the hearts of people in a special way. And his word, second of all, God's word pierces. There's conviction. There's Holy Spirit convictions. Not guilt, not fear, but God's word through his spirit convicts the heart. We see our sin. We see our sin for what it is and how devastating it is to us and the way that it is such a a hurtful thing to God. We see the cross. The cross becomes valued. We love the cross of Jesus Christ more and more. As we understand the sacrifice that was made on our behalf for our sin. And change ends up going deep in our lives. People are ready to do whatever it takes to make relationships right. To come clean on areas of secrecy or areas of sin. Areas that they need to change in their lives. And that change goes deep. And then love breaks out. An unusual love that God has for the body of Christ for his bride. And it's experienced in the midst of people. And then joy fills hearts. God is experienced in the church in a very palpable way. The lost are found. And then finally, we see that Satan keeps pace. There's always opposition. Whenever there is a working, a stirring of God in your heart, in your life, in a church, The enemy is always at work. And you see this later on here in the book of Acts. And this past week, our small groups, we watched a teaching session from the Vertical Church Conference on revival. And I believe that so many, as I talked to people about it, they said, oh, that was so good. It was such a reminder. Oh, God, do it again. If you haven't watched it, the links are included in this past week's e-news, and you can, can um, watch that video there and then spend some time in prayer or rewatch that video once again, that teaching session. And just even with that prayer, oh, God, would you send revival again? Would you do a new work? Would you do a fresh work in my life, in our church, in our nation, in our world? You see, as I mentioned already, revival is for the church. It's when the church of God wakes up and comes alive out of its lukewarmness, out of its slumber. Vance Havner, as we heard in that video, is the church falling in love with Jesus all over again. And when the church comes alive, it can't help but spill over into the world. When we are living the lives, living for his glory, and we are, are, are consumed with his glory above all things, people around us start to notice And the lost people say, hey, something's happening. What is it in your life? What's the difference? What's going on? And the lost people say, I want that, and they get saved. And in Acts 19, we see revival that spills into spiritual awakening that impacts the city of Ephesus and beyond. And folks, I believe that if Ephesus can be turned upside down for the sake of the gospel, this hard and very dark city, no place is without the the possible touch from God, no place on this planet. That God's power cannot impact. And I believe that is true today. And we have that wonderful promise in Second Chronicles 7.14. If, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then we'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins and heal their land. And so let's look to see how this took place in the book of Ephesus. And all the while, I encourage you as we go through this passage here today that you'd be praying a prayer, oh God, what needs, what needs a wake up in my life? What, what do you want to do in my life? And what can I do to encourage and to help this in the lives of others? All the while praying, oh God, would you show up? Oh God, would you do a mighty work in our city, in our region, in this land? And it says in verse eight, it says, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly. Boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. We see the word there, he spoke boldly. This means he held nothing back. He gave a full shovel. He gave the whole bale of hay. He just gave it all to the people. He declared the truth, and, and he was declaring how Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. And it says then, he also reasoned and persuaded, meaning then there was also the dialogue that took place. There was the exchanging of questions and answers, and and, and it just wasn't going this way, there was also opportunity for discussion and for people to talk and and to learn and to grow together in that way. He would have been declaring loudly, clearly, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me, except through Jesus Christ. Did you know that in our churches today, in our city, and I've heard it, where there are those who no longer believe that Jesus is the way. They believe that he is a way. Just one of the ways to God. That goes totally against the word of God. And this is what Paul would have been preaching. Get rid of your idols. Get rid of this because none of them are going to bring you to God. There's only one way and they actually became known. The early Christians in the church were called the way because they proclaimed Jesus is the way. And this is how they were known. Oh, I trust that we, maybe we should change our name to the people of the way. People who trust Jesus and follow Jesus knowing that he is the way to salvation. He is the way, the only way of eternal life. Dear ones, the greatest tool that we have for experiencing victory over sin. As Paul was doing here, he was proclaiming Jesus. The greatest tool we have for victory over sin and temptation. And the most powerful tool we have for turning this world upside down is the word of God. Yes, fueled by prayer but it is the truth of the word of God being proclaimed. What took place in Ephesus began and continued because of the word of God was proclaimed by Paul and then by others as well as it went out into the surrounding regions. And you see this pattern all throughout the book of Acts in the early church as the word of God was proclaimed. The truth was proclaimed, we see the gospel spread, we see people get saved, and we see a movement of God. Folks, that's why our very first pillar here at Harvest is proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. That's what we desire to do, is to proclaim his word, not my word, not my thoughts, the word of God. We desire to fearlessly proclaim the truth about God and his gospel by preaching the scriptures in context with the dependence on the Holy Spirit to bring eternal life change. Amen? That's what we go to God's word for. It's plain and simple, but sadly today there are many churches where God's word is being watered down. The truth is being compromised. We want to try to gather as many people together as possible, and we don't want to offend. We we, we don't want people to feel bad. We want them to be happy. We want them to have a good experience, an emotional experience. Folks, most emotional experiences won't last beyond... The parking lot, because your kids will tick you off or somebody in traffic will do it on your way home and that emotional experience is gone. We want to have a truth encounter with the living God through the word of God. We want people, yes, ultimately to leave church happy, but ultimately before that, it's pursuing holiness and Christ-likeness because that's where real happiness and actually joy flies, f- flows out of when we are pursuing God in holiness, in Christ-likeness, in obedience to the word of God. That's where his peace and his power kicks into our lives, not just through an emotional experience. If you and I and the church of Jesus Christ today is going to have a deep impact on the word, it requires that we stand for and we proclaim each one of us, the truth of God's word. This is how we confront strongholds wherever we go, whether we're having coffee with someone at work, at school, in our neighborhoods. We have the message of hope that people so desperately need to hear, that a dying world that is lost and is going to eternity needs to hear. And it's vital that we have, each one of us, a growing, deepening knowledge of the word of God. Romans 1 says that the gospel is the power for salvation. Where do we find the gospel? Where do we learn about the gospel? Through the word of God. The word word of God is powerful. The Bible is so clear in saying that we can't stand against sin and temptation and the opposition that will come our way without the word of God. Paul would later write to the church in Ephesus, encourage you to write this down. He writes about the armor of God in Ephesians 6. Encourage you to read this this week. And he tells them in order to stand, in order to stand strong, against temptation and the opposition that they were facing because even though God did a great work, there was still a lot of evil around them. There was a lot of temptation to go back, to, to, to be weakened in their faith, in their understanding of the word. And he tells them, put on the armor of God. And how much, do, t- take a look this week, how much of the armor is actually related to the truth, to the word of God? The belt of truth holding everything together. The feet fitted with the gospel of peace, which is the word of God, the shield of faith. Where do we get our faith from? Where do we get our boldness from? From the truth of the word of God. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the sad thing is, there's many believers, Christians today, people going to church who have very small shields and very tiny little butter knife for swords. We don't know the word of God we haven't spent time getting to to know and to go deep in the word of god we read our one verse a day and nice little commentary and we move on from it we need to have a deepening understanding and a love for the word of god this takes discipline you're going to take Probably sometime in between now and Christmas, all kinds of hours to research the right Christmas present for family members. And, and you're going to go and see what kind of rating it has here. And, and, you know, and we do this when it comes to buying a car or a house. We do all of this. How about researching the Word of God and growing deeper in our knowledge of that? We need to be people of the Word. We need to know and find our protection. It comes from the Word of God. First John 2.14 John writes, he says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. You want to overcome the evil one? It's going to come by the word of God, abiding in us by a knowledge of the word of God. You know, the greatest thing we have to overpower Satan, it's not having knowing the right thing to do or certain things to avoid. It's right here. It's in the word of God. David said, he says, I word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. John 15, Jesus says, you are clean through the word. You are clean through the word of God. Be saturated in the word of God. And look in verse nine. It says, but there's something that we should expect as well. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, in unbelief speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyranus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So Paul is in the synagogue proclaiming the gospel for three months. This is his longest stretch that that we know that he was allowed to stay in the synagogue. Usually he was kicked out before that. But finally he faced some opposition by some people who were stubborn, who are hard of hearts. We we see it in in here. They became stubborn and just continued. You ever try talking a sense to someone and, and, and they're just so stubborn? And so obtuse that they just have no, like, you're talking to them and they're just. And you're like, come on. And you want to, like, wake them up. Like, what are you thinking? Like, can't you see this? And this is what's happening here. He's proclaiming the truth, but they're so stubborn and hard of heart. And so we end up seeing after three months, he leaves. Instead of arguing and fighting and trying to prove that they were misinformed and blind, he ended up just finding a new location, a schoolroom at the school of Tyrannus. You know what his name literally means, Tyrannus? Tyrant. That's where you get the word Tyrant. I don't know if his parents named him that just because of how he maybe came out of the womb or something. Or maybe it was his students of Tyrannus that, that called, gave him that nickname. We don't know. But you see, what we're doing here at Harvest, it's nothing new. When it comes to renting facilities to have church, they've been doing it for 2,000 years. They were kicked out of the synagogue. So where do they go? To a school hall. That's where we met for our first year in a school, in a rented facility. The Revised Standard Version and other commentaries tells us that, that, that Paul as his was his custom, and what he ended up doing here was that he would teach from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. in the afternoon. This was the time of the siesta that would normally take place in the land. Normally, people would start work at 7 a.m. and work till 11 a.m., and then during the extreme heat of the day, they would take, and it would be a rest time. It would be that siesta, as, as oftentimes we hear as referred to in South America and Paul would be very much like these people. He would be working from 7am to 11am making tents doing the tent, tent making work that, that he was a part of. And, and we see that later on. He even reminded them um, as he's writing to the Ephesian elders. He says, I labored among you and with his hands. And, and so he was busy making tents from 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. And then during that extreme heat of the day, people would gather at this rented hall. And there he would teach. And there he would proclaim the gospel. And then later on, we would even see in chapter 20, we see that Paul would then go house to house. So quite possibly in the evening when others would go back to work, maybe Paul went back to work after 4 p.m. And oftentimes they would work till 9 p.m. in the night when it was cooler. Paul, we see, also went house to house, individually, teaching, sharing, discipling. The believers there. And he did this for two years. What a schedule. I'm sure that he was getting a little weary. And it just wasn't him. He had those that were around him. They quite possibly, you know, had to set up and do some takedown for... For each day, as, as they would, would teach and, uh, and, and have this time at the hall, I don't know if they would have had some sort of children's programming or maybe there were some classes and some studies for, for some of the women. We don't know all of those kind of details, but this was quite the pace for two years, working a full-time job, preaching the word of God and seeing God do a great work. At times, the word of God to proclaim it and to see his truth proclaimed will be tiring. You will get weary. But it's so worth it when you stick to it and you see what God ends up doing and God did a great work. It says, I mean, and and this is an amazing statement. This is God's word. It doesn't lie. It says all the residents of Asia heard the word. All. It was during this two years, people would come, they would hear the gospel, they would be discipled, they would be sent out. It is believed that it is during this time, the seven churches named in Revelation came into being as well as many other churches As far as we know, in those two years, Paul didn't even go out, but churches got planted as they sent people out. This was a powerful, divine work of God. And the results of the word of God being proclaimed were people were getting saved, disciples were being made, and churches were planted. And I wonder today, how are you doing in this? Are you someone who is prevailing? Are you proclaiming the word of God despite opposition, weariness, And even facing some who are hard in their heart and not open to the gospel? Is the word of God prevailing in our lives? Are you going deeper in the study of the word of God? Folks, I want to push you in this today. And I'm pushing you because you need to have not a teeny little shield and a teeny little butter knife for a sword. We need big swords, sharp swords, where we know the word of God. Where we can defend his truth and fight off the enemy when he comes with the attacks in our minds or or with even at times people in our lives. This is why we need to be faithfully reading and studying, learning, memorizing the word of God taking books of the Bible and, and finding their themes and, and why these books were written and and, 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 and and outlining the chapters and just learning some of these basic kind of things. And at the book table, even today, it's a perfect time to have our book table today. Um, this simple God time book, just, just helping in some of the basic starting understanding of the word of God and just getting you to, to get deeper and to grow in your study of the word of God. And there's many other tools and ways that we can grow in this just. Don't be satisfied. The time in the word of God is not time wasted. Time on Netflix, time wasted. Time cyber shopping, time wasted. Well, I get good gifts that way. Yes, but not nearly as important as the word of God. And when we study his word and we allow it to take root in our lives, there's power. And we see the end result of that as we are more confident in the word of God. We can share the word of God. Lost people get saved. They grow in their relationship with the Lord, and they go out and they tell others. And as we see here, church is planted. And, and so I want to push you all in that. Get into the Word of God. Parents, can I encourage you, before you buy Christmas gifts, you say, ah, too late, already bought some. Can you make sure that your children have a good, readable copy of the Word of God? That's a far better investment than any toy or gadget you could ever give them. We've got some great ones for young kids. There's ones that you can buy for teenagers. Good study Bible, so important. It's funny how we'll spend money like crazy on things that won't last. But when it comes to the word of God, we won't make an investment in, in buying a good Bible. And we have some that are available even today. encourage you, make the investment. It's one that will pay off dividends like you would not believe. And God bless the faithfulness. God bless the faithfulness of proclaiming the word, and he'll bless the faithfulness as we get into his word and proclaim it. And folks, for those of you who are weary in desiring to to see God's word proclaimed, whether it's in, in service for the Lord here on a Sunday morning and through the life of the church, Through just even dealing with difficult or people who are hard of heart. Can I just encourage you with Galatians 6 verse 9. And let us not grow weary in well-doing for in due season we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Stay faithful. Paul kept at it for two years. And we see an incredible work of God take place. The second thing we see is God's power prevails over sickness and evil. And it says here. Verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. And so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin, were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and their evil spirits came out of them. Here we're seeing people healed, evil spirits coming out of people. People would take the handkerchiefs, and more than likely these were a sweat cloth that Paul probably was using, either when he was speaking or when he was making tents, and, and the apron was quite possibly like coveralls that he used once again for, for his, his tent making, and, and, and anything that had touched Paul, these handkerchiefs or even these aprons, when they were taken out and, and, and there was just this incredible power that was going on by these things that had touched the Apostle Paul. These miracles, notice it says, were extraordinary. I don't know what your version says. The ESV says extraordinary, meaning they were never seen before and we don't see them since. But this is God's way of declaring his power, that he is greater than any other gods. This is God making his mark in the city. And it came with a confirmation of the preaching. It was a confirmation of the teaching and the preaching that was going on. It was a declaration. There's a new God in town. And he is above all gods. And these miracles, they weren't self-exalting for Paul. Notice it says it was a work of God. It wasn't a work of Paul. It was a work of God. God does miracles today, doesn't he? Amen? Do you believe that? God does miracles today. But these miracles that that we see here in the Bible, and this is just some basic understanding and teaching here, folks, when it comes to miracles, the miracles in the Bible aren't for our imitation. It's for us to learn. Sadly, preachers today turn on, not even, it's not so much late night anymore, it's any time during the day on some of these miracle channels or different things like that, where you see preachers who have taken passages like this and abused the word of God, Um, you know, like Going and having some miracle spring water or some, some, some miracle manna or even miracle cloths, not the ones that you wash your car with, but, 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 miracle cloths. And, and if you just send in your best financial gift, we will send you some miracle water or some miracle manna or one of these cloths and, and you can expect a miracle. You're going to receive a miracle is on its way. Folks, this kind of teaching, it's an abuse. It's misusing the name and the power of Jesus And we have to be so careful as these people are stepping on some very dangerous ground. And one day, our God will have the final say. One day, if not already, just by doing a little research, these teachers have been, are being exposed. And yet, they're still misleading people. But one day, they will all be exposed. Isn't it amazing how every week we are hearing about politicians and actors and producers and high profile. Profile people in North America, especially we're seeing it, who are being accused of things that they did in secret years and years ago. This is just a small picture, folks, that one day justice will be served. That one day everything will be uncovered. Not before man in the media and posted on Twitter, but before God Almighty. Every secret exposed every lie pointed out, everything. And it's better to be prepared on this side of judgment than on the other side. God will have the final say, even amongst these teachers and these preachers, these so-called men of God who are misleading people and are involved in the doctrine of demons. Let's take a look at what happens next. It's really quite the story. In fact, one of my first sermons as a pastor, as a youth pastor, was on this passage in this next part, and it was called, Are You No One in Hell? I, I didn't look for that sermon this week. I kind of, I, I don't know if I would preach that again, necessarily. Um, and and it, I mean, I, I, it was a good sermon, I'm sure, but it was a long time ago. And so here, here, here's quite the story. You have these fake Exorcists. You, you have these exorcists. These, these weren't believing people. They were traveling itinerant exorcists. They were the seven brothers, the seven sons of Sceva that were making money by casting out demons because Ephesus was such a, a, a melting pot for all of this satanic uh, warfare and rituals and different things that were going on. It became a hot place for exorcists too because as people were involved in de- demonism, they were being hounded by these demons and so they would have exorcists that would claim to be able to cast demons out of people. And what what they would do is that they would, would, would desire to cast out demons by pronouncing certain Greek gods and kind of come up with different formulas to kind of break the spell of these demons or to cast them out of these people and with a great hope that eventually they find kind of like the right combination, you know, pressing the right buttons and, and then finally the demon would break out, and, uh, out of that person and they would get paid their money. Now they saw that Paul had unusual power over the evil spirits. By using this name of Jesus. The problem is, they didn't know Jesus. And so they were misusing the name of Jesus. So here we're, they're, they're talking to an evil spirit and trying to cast this, this demon out of this demon-possessed man using different hocus-pocus and whatever kind of incantation that they could come up with. And then all of a sudden they say, hey, in the name of Jesus, the one that Paul is preaching... You need to come out of this person because of the Jesus that Paul is talking about. But they had no relationship with Jesus. And folks, this is not a good plan. It's never a good idea to use the name of Jesus in an improper way. Never. Jesus is the name above all names. Why is it one of the number one swear words for people today? It is the name above all names. And one name we should not take lightly. Or we should not take in vain. And it says, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Who are you? And the demon challenged their authority, and look what happens. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered them all, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And I like what Matt Chandler had to say about this. He says, if there's seven of you against one, and the one beats the seven of you, and you run out of the house without your pants on, you just got whooped. (laughs) True story. You see, the devil is not afraid of anyone who does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The devil and his demons are not afraid of mortal man. He is a fallen angel with limited power. Yes, his power is greater than that of a man, but not greater than that of God. And the only way that you can be protected from Satan, from his demons, is through the name and the power of Jesus Christ. And today, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're open game for the devil. You are. You are living, as God's word calls it, the truth of God's word calls it, you are living in the dominion of darkness. And you are not in the kingdom of light, in the kingdom of God. And the only way to be rescued from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light into the kingdom of God is through the gospel by believing and receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior, confessing him as Lord and savior, repenting, turning from sin. As Colossians one tells us, he then delivers us from the dominion of darkness and transfers us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And this protection, the only way that we are protected against the devil, Satan, his demons, is to be indwelt by the precious Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. 1 John 4, 4, then the great promise that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We don't have to be living in fear, but folks, this is a great warning. This is a seriousness that the demonic realm is real, and this is not something to be toyed with or played with lightly. Satan is real, he is powerful, and he's our enemy, and he wants to see you destroyed. First Peter 5 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith. Now some see a demon and Satan behind. Everything, there are those that that at times will see that and focus on that very spirit, the spirit of this, the spirit of this, spirit of that. Don't give too much time to the devil. Don't do that. You have to be so careful in that sort of thing and I know there's some ministries that kind of go along that way because one of the sad things is your focus becomes on the devil and on, on the demonic world and that's what he wants. Our focus isn't to be on the devil but on the deliverer. Amen? The one who won the victory. And the devil wants us to pay a lot of attention to him. We don't have to. We repent of sin, or we confess our sin, we repent of our ways, and we fall in obedience to the word of God. The devil can't touch us. We have power and we have victory when we're living in obedience because greater is he that is in us. These guys were fakes, and they used the name of Jesus in an improper way. And we see it did not end well for them. The only ground that Satan has and your life is the ground that you give them. And that is why this passage, I believe, is, as well as many others, folks, you need to listen. This is important stuff. We can't be too casual when it comes to Satan and the occult. And I believe, I, I've just seen a trend over the years where we as believers, we've become so casual about this. Horoscopes, Ouija boards, books. Movies, games, meditation exercises um, that focus on uh, and glorify spells or incantations and demons and the power of Satan or opening up our minds or clearing our minds in various ways. And we see in 1 Corinthians 10, you don't believe me in this? 1 Corinthians 10, 21 and 22 says we are not to drink from the cup of demons. We are to stay away from this. How can a believer drink from the cup of demons and from the cup of the Lord? We need to rid ourselves of these kind of things. Confess these things as sin. Repent, turn, get rid of these kind of things and live in obedience to the word of God. And I believe this is an important warning for the church today. For us in our lives to examine, are, are there areas that I'm giving the enemy a foothold? And what does this result in? What results in the power of God prevailing over sickness and evil? In the name of Jesus being lifted high. It says, and and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them, and the name of Jesus was extolled. There was a holy fear. This woke up. This was like smelling salt central for the people. all of a sudden, whoa, there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. The satanic realm is real, and these people get serious, and there's a holy fear, a reverence, an awe that God is the one true God. And he deserves our respect and our attention. And we need to take his word seriously. And it says, in the name of the Lord, there was this fear, but then there was this name of the Lord was extolled, which is more than just worship on a Sunday morning or on the car and you're listening to some good music or in your home, whatever it might be. That's a form of extolling God in worship. But this means Jesus was being honored, glorified his name over all in every situation of our lives. When we're being mistreated, when we're being bullied, when we're tempted to sin in areas of work or business or cut some corners or, or, or pride starts to take root or selfishness. And we, instead of going the path that our, our, our flesh, the world tells us to go and we want to raise the Jesus flag and say, I, I, I want to live for Jesus. I want to honor Jesus in this. I want to do what Jesus, what his word calls me to do. We extol the name of Jesus. And it sends a message to people around us. There is a person who is serious, who's serious about their relationship with Jesus Christ and are ready and willing to follow him no matter the cost. And this is something that I trust that each one of us would want. That Jesus Christ would be extolled, honored, glorified in every situation of our life. That he would receive the glory. This morning, as you can tell, my voice isn't very good and sweating like crazy here. I need one of those sweat rags that, uh, that uh, Paul used to wipe my brow, it seems. Or, um, Cheyenne was up in the middle of the night with stomach flu. And there was a part where I was just like, okay, Lord, let's bring it. When I am weak, you are strong. And sometimes the Lord allows these kind of illnesses and these things to happen to us to get, again, just our ultimate, ultimate every day, every Sunday, every day of the week, our dependence totally, completely on him. And God's word says that then when we are weak, we are strong because we're going in his power and his strength. And Shion, I want to thank you for worshiping and leading us through that, even though I think he's probably feeling like passing out. Maybe he's even passed out right now, but get ready for the close because we need, need the band again for that. But Jesus can be extolled even in, the, in the, these things saying, hey, yeah, I'm weak. I'm tired. This is a result of the fall of sin that we're going to get sick. We're going to have these kind of things, but we, we're going to wave the Jesus flag. Jesus is going to have the victory. He gives the power. He gives the strength. The third thing we see is God's people get serious. God's people get rid of sin in their lives. It says, and also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had been practicing magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found them to be worth 50,000 pieces of silver. Today's currency, I've seen it's anywhere between five and $15 million was burnt on that day. And notice, these are believers. These are people who are already saved, who, who have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But they still had some things that they were holding on to. Some of it was perhaps out of ignorance. They didn't realize, oh, I better not mess with the demonic. I better not mess with these things. And others were perhaps holding on to them, just thinking, I can have Jesus and I can have this. And it says they were confessing and disclosing what was in secret, their practices. And they were making things right. They were coming clean on sin. And they burnt them. They burnt the bridges. They didn't sell them. They didn't put them in the attic for, you know, just, uh, we'll, we'll kind of see if this kind of, you know, feeling passes. And then I'll go back to it after a time. They burnt, it. They burnt the bridges to the sin, to, to what would end up causing them to, to, to go, go astray in, in various areas in our lives. And so oftentimes, folks, I think that we believe that we can juggle the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And then one day we wake up and we find out that we can't. And sadly, there are believers that can become a testimony to the truth that sin brings forth death and it's serious. And I think of many people who have made forms of commitments to Christ over the years that today aren't walking with Christ. Many of you, if you've been walking for Christ, you would probably be able to quickly, sadly, come up with a list of people who, who at one point were, were all in. They were going hard after God. And now they're not walking with him at all, or if they are, it's very casual. It's whenever there's trouble, or whenever crisis, or, you know, just kind of cling to that fire insurance. But oftentimes, they never make a clean break from sin, from the past, from the evil. And we try to juggle both or what can happen over a period of time as Christians, the things we once abhorred, we cut out of our lives. We saw no value in it. We slowly reintroduce into our lives. And we start to justify it because it becomes, in our minds, a mark of spiritual maturity. Oh, I can handle this. It's not a big deal. I can justify it. Or maybe it's a way that I can relate to the world and and, and see lost people saved and discipled. We're diluting the message. And the result of the getting serious about sin that, that the church was, was adamant about, we, we end up seeing that it was a powerful movement of God. There was a spiritual awakening. It says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. God's word prevailed, not just through the biblical proclamation, but by the believers getting serious about Jesus, leveling every ungodly obstacle in their path. Allowing the Holy Spirit to raise high the standard of holiness in their lives through the conviction and dealing with their sin. We're not talking about legalism. We're talking about holiness and and Christ-likeness and godliness and a life of power. And yet so oftentimes, we as believers, we can end up conducting our business like people do in the world. We cut corners. We work in a way that we shouldn't be working. Or our language is no different than that of the world. Or we laugh or we tell the same jokes. Or we spend our money with the same materialistic mindset that our world has. we party like the world. Come to church on Sundays. Or entertainment choices. Is there really much of a difference these days between entertainment choices for Christians and for non-Christians? Folks, I'm preaching it myself in this. God's word has just opened up, and I, I, I have to preach this. should have a little mini mirror, mirror here so I see myself as I'm preaching. If we're gonna be a distinct people in our city, in our world, we need to be people saturated with the word of God, desiring to extol Christ above all other things in a spirit of humility and declaring God's goodness and his power and his truth over every situation and encounter, and as God's people getting serious about His Word and the way that we looked at it here this morning, and you know what it would happen? Same thing that happened in Ephesus. Watch out! Watch out for God's mighty hand to do a great work in our families, in our workplaces, in this city, in this region, in our nation. This was a community. Oh, there was still a lot of evil going on around it, but they continued on. It was a community saturated with God, and God was purifying His church. I can ask the band to come up at this time, and there's going to be in a moment um, some questions. And as they sing this over, you just please remain seated in an attitude of prayer and just asking yourself these questions. I believe these are important questions we all need to be asking ourselves. What are some of the doorways that we can leave open? In what areas have we become desensitized to sin and Satan's power in our life? Are we doing things today that we once abhorred and now we justify? Do we smile or laugh at the things that break the heart of God? Are we indistinguishable from our decaying culture? Is there any difference about our lives? Just encourage you to be asking yourself that question with an honest heart before God, asking God to seek your heart in these areas.